Hey folks, Julian here. So this is the second part of our episode 110. Um, if you missed the first part, by all means, go back and check that out because it is fantastic. We're joined by John Brandon of the Square Roots podcast. And the first part of the podcast was just the entire stage select section where we talked about our top three musical town themes. And because of that, it just went a little long once we added the music in there. So we went ahead and split the episode into two parts. So this is going to be Consumption Junction, wherein John comes up with a really cool topic that kind of leads into a nice discussion about Zelda and Mass Effect Andromeda and Nier Automata, all sorts of good stuff. And then we have Chrono Crossing for 1997. So please uh, enjoy that and let us know what you think. And don't forget to comment and give us your submissions for our next episode. Uh, yeah, that'll do it. Thanks, everybody. going to try to do oh yeah we're gonna to try to blast through this real quick because john is on a timetable actually john you had maybe we'll just do this you had a topic idea that i think actually would segue really well into the stuff that we've been playing anyway so why don't you just okay. kick that off and we'll just kind of have this brief discussion about that and then we'll just talk about like our stuff in depth on our next episode Ooh, yeah um to say to save on on some time i think that'll probably work a little better okay uh if you don't Guys, don't mind me hijacking your podcast, dude. That's why we wanted you on here. So by yeah, by all yeah. means, fire away, jack away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been playing two games. One that is a beloved child of the gaming community right now, and one that is a rejected orphan that is made of garbage <laughs> that everyone hates. <laughs> And these two games are called Mass Effect Andromeda, which is the garbage orphan, and <laughs> Near Automata. Both of these games have astounding technical issues, but are interesting. And I feel like there's a gamer group think which says, this is the good game. This is the bad game. This is the game where we will point out every technical flaw we can find. This is the game where it shines and we'll appreciate every nuance of beauty of it. And I, I always find that a bit distracting that there's this weird monoculture to gaming and sort of a one narrative that drives what is the good game and what is the bad game. Uh, what do you guys think about that? I think you basically described Julian versus Angelo. <laughs> well, not really. So from somebody who's played like the original Nier, those games always had issues, right? Yeah. They've been more about the characters, the story, uh, the writing, like that sort of thing. And, the uh, you know, the, the visual aspect of it has always been like a generation behind, for real. 
Yeah. Like, you play the original Nier, and it looks like a PS2 game. Yep. Not yep. even a very good one. <laughs> <laughs> so, people don't go to those games necessarily for that. And I think that that's why it gets a pass in that regard. But I'm not sure. If you're talking about other kinds of technical issues, I don't, I don't know. No, that um, that that is generally like not it's the low the incredibly low quality textures the mm-hmm. graphical pop in just as you walk around the town the level of detail kind of popping in right as you get close to right. things just invisible barriers everywhere and right. uh, I it's, it's a great game I I think it is fantastic and maybe that's why people overlook it because there's so much good there that you can be like oh yeah so you can't walk through all these open doorways and so there's no texture on a bunch of or very little textures on a bunch of buildings but the people the people who are fans of that play yeah. dragon guard <laughs> yeah. big fans okay that should tell you all you need to know <laughs> um and I have all three Dragon Guard games. I have not played them because I just I have not like you really need to gird your loins before you pop one of those in there. Like it is you know what you're getting yourself into. But well, hopefully you do. <laughs> yeah, well, I do. Um I think the problem with Mass Effect is Mass Effect was the bigger letdown. Like we expected Near to be kind of a mess. Okay. Um because that those games have always been a mess in some way. Platinum but then, yeah, you get, like you get like Mass Effect, and I, I this is coming from somebody who's not a Mass Effect fan. Like we, we've discussed before, how Bioware and I don't necessarily work together very right. well. But what they say that they want out of that game is, you know, they want a game that makes them feel like they're in there, right? With Nier, it's more like you're watching a show. Like I don't want to be in that world, man. Those worlds are messed <laughs> up, okay? Yeah. But people want to be on the Citadel, you know? They want to be in whatever this. And it sounds like just with those technical issues and a whole bunch of other things around it, bad voice acting, bad writing, the bad animation, it's like, well, this isn't a world that I'm interested in being invested in. And I think right. that's where, you know, they point to the technical issues because maybe in layman's terms, that's the best way to approach it. Like, that's the easiest, you know, it's kind of the low-hanging fruit, right? It's easy to pick yeah. on these, it's easy to pick on, like, the main character suddenly busting into a crab walk while they're running away. <laughs> <laughs> But it's harder, it's maybe harder and more nuanced to put your finger on, why is this game not at all what I was looking for when I right. picked it up? Yeah. Like, why is it not a Mass Effect game in what I believe a Mass Effect game should be? Yeah, and, and what Angela says is, is exactly right. It, it's, it's the difference in expectations of those two games. Because, like, Angela, you're right. Like, the, the Nier fans knew what they were getting into with Nier Automata, but... There's a lot of people who aren't near fans who are loving this game, and I think it's because their expectations were nil. Um, because right. not only was it like a sequel to a you know little niche game from last generation that they didn't play, but it was also by Platinum Games, which is no longer a seal of quality. You know, like you don't know what you're going to get from a Platinum Games game anymore. So there is a lot of like, oh, this could be total garbage, and then it turns out to be really good. Where Mass Effect, there's a certain level, there's an expectation of like a baseline quality. Say what you will about like if you didn't like the ending of Mass Effect 3 or you don't like what they did with Dragon Age 2, there's still a baseline of quality with all of those games where at at the very least, you know, maybe you don't like some of the gameplay, you don't like some of the characters, but there's something there that you're digging where, you know, in Andromeda, like I've played it for a couple hours um, both before and after the patch, 
yeah, there's there's some there's some mm. there's some awkward writing. There's some really bad dialogue delivery that I don't expect from Bioware. But then at the same time, like once you're on the Nexus, I'm like walking around saying, "Oh no, this yeah, this feels like Mass Effect." Like you know, I'm reading the Codex entries like I have to do because I'm a Mass Effect fanboy and like <laughs> I have to read every line of this because it's super interesting. Um, you know, and I'm talking to people and solving their problems. This all feels fine. Um, and you got Kumail Nanjiani as a Solarian, which is amazing. <laughs> it's it's even more amazing when you realize that he already sounded like a Solarian bef- to I begin know. with. <laughs> they did nothing to his voice. It's just him. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I, I think that with Mass Effect Andromeda, maybe it maybe it is kind of a a weird expectation thing because for to me it is feeling so much like when I was playing through Dragon Age Two. Where I love Dragon Age 2 was exactly what I was looking for. Oh, nice. It's, Thank you. It's an RPG that is not about big armies. It's an RPG that's about people and a city. Yeah. And this is about colonists and colonies and not about the army, unlike every other Mass Effect game so far. I, I'm only at the end of EOS. I just completely cleared EOS. And it is about colonizing planets and getting helping people get out of stasis and, and find homes for people. It is very... Even though it is ga- spanning an entire galaxy, it feels much more homey and small like Dragon Age 2 does with a lot more narrow focus on the characters. I haven't got – I find Dragon Age 2 has maybe more likable right away characters, but PB uh, – have you met PB yet? On, Not uh, yet. She's amazing. Like this is Meryl from Dragon Age 2 level kind of awesome, charming character. Whoa, whoa. You don't – don't put that on me because Meryl is like my favorite Bioware character. And if you put that expectation, that level of expectation for me on that character, I don't know if I can handle it if I'm disappointed because Meryl is amazing. Okay, <laughs> there is only one Meryl and she's in Konami. <laughs> she's an <in>, oh. <laughs> different spelling. Right. But yeah, this, it seems like a very different game that's much less gung-ho and military and to me that is extremely appealing like that it's about building and not about blowing things up yeah and and i I hope okay so i like that you're saying that because my initial impressions of mass effect from the first like three hours was cold because like i'm like cool like we're gonna be in a new galaxy and we're gonna like do diplomacy and stuff and it's like no we're just shooting people that we've just met and and i was like all right, this, this, I hope this isn't going to be the entire game because I, I, the thing, I want Mass Effect to be more Star Trek and less Star Wars because, you know, the whole thing about Mass Effect is just kind of like a blending of the two. But I like right. the diplomacy of Star Trek more than the swashbucklery of Star Wars most of the time. So it doesn't have the focused stories that like KOTOR or Mass Effect 1, 2, and 3 had so far. Like it doesn't have like you getting involved in personal dramas in the same way and I think that might be something people miss where you're not like this family's angry at this family and you have to get really deep into their sorry, you have to get really deep into their personal relationships. Here it's sort of you do get to know people a little bit but you aren't getting involved in families and Mm. small Things like that, which I maybe is something missing, but I'm not far enough in the game. How do you get yeah. to know the characters then? Because that's what people most identify with. So far, the only characters that have, they've really given time to are PB and the computer Sam. And I both are really charming and interesting. But I, I'm curious if maybe the game doesn't devote enough time 
in the long run to getting to know the people you're working with because uh, that would be a shame. Yeah. Yeah. But it's hard. It's hard for me to say I'm five hours in. I, I do have a really personal question about the characters, though, um, in regards to Funko Pops. And <laughs> uh, do you guys know this Sarah Ryder GameStop only uh, Mass Effect Andromeda character yet? Or she's like uh, like a silver suit with like a blue visor or something like that. Have you seen her yet? Or do we know anything? Well, she's about- the main. She's the main girl. Oh, okay. Like if she's Ryder, she is either Scott or Sarah. Except that you can rename them anyways. So oh, my Ryder's named uh, Xanthippy. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's why she's got a visor on. I guess it's like Master Chief. Yeah, yeah. Well, to go to go a little bit further on, on your your point, John, about like the that gamer group thing. Like Patrick likes to troll me, but I think <laughs> I've been pretty consistent on this show about railing against that. Yeah, and uh, my you know, trolling? It's a, a little bit um, <laughs> because Pat, like Patrick likes to say that like I don't like anything. But my thing has always been I want to look – I want to evaluate a game in its entirety. And I'm not going to overlook problems that a game has to a certain degree. Like there's times when like my enjoyment of a game is so high that any like problems that I have with it are almost negligible. Um, right. Saints Row 4 is a perfect example. That game on Xbox 360, ton of technical problems. I had to give it a three and a half star review because of those technical problems, but it ended up being my favorite game of that year because I had so much fun with it. Mm. But I'm not going to ignore that the glaring issues that it has, but that doesn't mean like it can't, it's, it's not, it doesn't have to be a binary thing because just because Mass Effect Andromeda is a disappointment doesn't mean that like it's on fire and you know, like you need to be angry at like the individual staffers at Bioware and you know, feel that you're owed like a better game. Now you can definitely make a point that it probably needed another six months and they shouldn't have released it when they did. Yeah. Then yeah, <laughs> I'm behind you. You you should be upset about that. Need that money though. Yeah. They need to get in for that quarter and everything. But you know, so like Zelda breath of the wild is a game that I played. I loved like I finished the Zelda game. That's only my fourth Zelda game that I've finished out of 11 that I've played. Um, because it actually hooked me long enough to do so. I do not think that it deserves the scores that it's been getting. I understand why it's gotten those scores because I can see why reviewers would say it has all of these problems, but I had so much fun with it that it doesn't matter. But for me, those problems persisted through the entire game and detracted from my enjoyment of that game to such a degree that I come closer to Jim Sterling's score he gave it a seven. I think that's too harsh, but I feel like an eight is much more where I fit in with that game because there's some stuff in there that pissed me the hell off on a consistent basis through the entire 60 hours that I played it. Link is too slow. Um, he takes forever to get up after he's knocked down. The stamina meter initially is like way too punishing. Like oh, it took yeah. me, it took me so many shrines to get it to a point where I felt, okay, this is where he should have started. <laughs> <laughs> If we started from this baseline of me having two full bars of stamina, this is where the sweet spot is to begin, you know, from. And I'm sorry, but like the breaking weapons thing, like just needs a couple little tweaks and it could have been perfect. But when you go into an encounter 
and you burn through three weapons and then come out with one that was lesser than the three weapons you had. Uh, like <laughs> at that point, I'm, I'm, I'm avoiding as many battles as I can because the, com- because the combat is also not up to snuff. Like it's not any better than any, it's, it's the same combat that's always been in Zelda since Ocarina of Time, which is fine, but you know, that's 18 years old at this point. Yeah. So, you know, I wanted, I wanted to see more updates, you know, but that doesn't, it's still a great game. It's just, you can enjoy a game and still say it has problems, but not have it be this binary thing of like, because like people will take this out of context and say, oh, he must have hated that game because he has all these complaints about it. No, far from it. I loved it. You know, it was great, but it's got some issues that I have that I, I feel the need to illustrate because it's not flawless by any means. <laughs> I feel like yeah. I gotta qualify myself though, but <laughs> uh, that's not exactly what I do. It's like in a certain, like either you get really nostalgic about stuff and like you have like fully processed it and then it becomes an even greater game in your mind sometimes, which is funny. It's cute. And, uh, but I don't do but, that, Patrick. You, you tell me, you say that I do that, but so, I'm very yeah. cognizant. Like, yeah, especially recently. I've said that on the show many times, like, you know, this game is either not as good as I remember it, or I don't yeah. want to go back and replay this game no, because so I like my memories of it, I <laughs> and I don't know, want to ruin them. I know you're really aware of it. It's just like, oh, I like to do it. <laughs> <laughs> there are words in there somewhere. <laughs> uh, so here's here's another thing, though, just going back to the earlier comparison about the whole near versus um, of uh, Mass Effect is... I don't think for a long time people knew what Nier was. Like It was a surprise, I guess, right? Yes. It was a surprise. Like it was a surprise for it to be a good game, much less a great game. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like everybody's used to it being a game that's teetering off of good and onto bad, but oh my gosh, the things it does right, it just like the soundtrack. And I, I've already mentioned all that crap. Yeah. The combat is fantastic. I think it's it's maybe my favorite action RPG combat I've done so far. In it's this really one, yeah, fun. but in the first Witcher. Oh, no. No. <laughs> no. So, but that's the thing, right? Like, that wasn't necessarily the focus. And now that the combat's good, it's like, man, this game just keeps... these. This franchise gets better and better. And here's the thing, right? There's this weird sort of spirit... And this isn't just gamer internet. This is internet period, where, like, they like to see things that are super successful fall apart. And they like to think, mm. see things that aren't successful rise up. Like, right. there's this weird sort of cycle that happens, right? And right now, you know, Mass Effect, plus they kind of pissed off their fans a little bit at the end of Mass Effect 3. So there's a little right. bit of that bitterness there, too. So they want to see it fall. On the other side, you have Nier, which has a bunch of people that, like, I saw a site. Okay, I saw a site, and it wasn't a huge named one, but it wasn't a small one either, necessarily, like a teeny tiny one that nobody's ever heard of. I can't remember the name of it, though, and I'm sorry who reviewed the original Nier and gave it, like, a 5.5, right? Right. And then later on, two more people reviewed it, and we're talking about, like, by later on, I mean, like, three or four months later, when all the buzz started happening about it, they one of them gave them a 9, and the other one gave it a 9.5. Right. Okay? You know, factor that in, too, that people ne- maybe didn't get these other, um, you know, Yoko Taro games before this, right? Like, they didn't right. necessarily get what he was going for, and he sure didn't have the budget for it, for, for what his vision was, I guess. 
Um, but they want to see that stuff flourish. Like, yes, I want to nurture this. I want to watch it grow. Meanwhile, you've got, oh, hey, here's this company we used to love that got bought by a company we hate and pissed us all off. We want to see that burn <laughs> to the ground. Yeah. I mean, there's that, too. So I think there's something to uh, how games like the recollection of games changes in time too. Like when uh, Fallout New Vegas came out, I was really excited. I bought it like launch day and then all the reviews were terrible. Like, well, not terrible, but you know, middling seventies and or some eighties and people are just like, yeah, this game's broken. This game's kind of, it's just the same thing as Fallout three. And then you step back for a couple of years, people come back to it. This is the best Fallout game ever. <laughs> like, well, it was it's, also patched. Yeah, I think that might be part of it. <laughs> that might be it, part of it. I did lose arcade Ganon forever, and I kept falling down through walls and floors and stuff. And I think sometimes what happens in those situations is the game comes out, and maybe it's not what people want, and so they're harsh on it. But then the next game comes out, and it's more not what people want, which makes the previous I think that's one. It. Yeah. So, like, Final Fantasy X is one of my perfect examples. And I, I talk about this a lot where people hated Final Fantasy X when it came out. They hated Tetis. They hated like the linearity of it. You know, like they, they were just angry. But then flash forward 10 years from there. Oh, Final Fantasy X was the last like great series game in the series. And it's like, wait, no. Well, I mean, yes, it is, but also no, because you hated it when it came out. And I'm, I'm saying like not you personally, but like, the yeah like gamers as a whole like it had a very negative response initially and for years people were like oh yeah like Tidus is like the worst character blah 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 and but then as time goes on and people didn't like the final fantasy 11 with online people didn't like the battle system of 12 which and the funny thing now is it's happening with 12 like after 13 people are like oh man i can't wait for that remaster final fantasy 12 that was the last best final fantasy game (laughs) (laughs) yep i will say this Titus's pants have and always will be stupid. Yes. Yes. There's no justification for Titus's pants. <laughs> I like his boots, though. I want his boots. The rest of his outfit's actually kind of okay. He just needed better pants. <laughs> just or no pants. Like, we're, we're down for that. <laughs> Never! <laughs> that... Uh- <laughs> See, the gamer group think on a game like Alpha Protocol is that game was garbage, but I th- I'm starting to see people come around on it, and, and it's weird that it's like a it's like a, a a a wave that eventually, I bet in five years, people will be like, yeah, Alpha Protocol was that misunderstood classic that no one mm-hmm. liked, mm-hmm. but I did because I was smart. Right. You know? And and yeah, like like for me, Alpha Protocol is a game that I was super excited for, and I didn't buy when it came out. I've since bought it, and I've played a little bit of it, and it's like, yeah, this game has some serious problems, but I can also see the greatness under it. And, you know, I definitely want to play all the way through it, but... I'm not going to ever say that, oh, like, you know, it's it's this classic game that nobody understood or, like, people were stupid to not, like, play it at the time. It's like, no, it's it's got problems, you know, like, especially when people were building it up to be, like, Mass Effect but with spies, and it doesn't play nearly as well as Mass Effect, but... No, but you can turn invisible and punch everyone in the throat, and that makes this game amazing. And I love <laughs> that game. Like, I think Alpha Protocol, it's broken... And I think it got the reviews it deserves, but the way the dialogue and consequences of your choices work in that game is brilliant. Like, it's amazing. Yeah. I think the reverse is also true, right? Because, I mean, Final Fantasy VII came out. Who didn't freaking love Final Fantasy VII when it came out, right? 
But now you've got these people coming back with, well, Final <laughs> Fantasy VII actually kind of sucked. <laughs> and uh, if you liked it, you were kind of really immature. Hipster. And blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like, no, dude, got, guys, this game bl- kicked the blew the doors off the industry. It got people that I've never seen playing games to play games. I think it did. The, like one of the uh, best things about like, especially the way we critique and in particular Julian is that like we, um, in something that I don't give you credit for, we definitely poke the holes in what's there right now. But I think like when you think about what's going to be in 20 years, like all of these games, like the good parts of them, they're all going to be molded into one game. That's going to be better than <laughs> all of the ones that we've got now. So, like, that's why it's really hard to gauge all these games. You see, like, all the holes that they've got, but, like, that two or three good ideas that's in the game that are are all going to be in one game someday. And so it's, like, really frustrating to see these developers who are, like, halfway there, you know, because we're just evolving the medium. But all these games are going to be, you know, when we're, like, 70 and 80 years old, like, the best (laughs) games of our lives, and we're going to feel like we're, like, kids again just Mm. because we're playing it. It's going to be so good. And I think there's also a thing where, like, the bad stuff drops away over time because you start to remember the, yeah. the the good parts of games. You know, like I, like I've I've as I've been doing my classic game room and everything, and I go back to some of these PS1 games and stuff, and I'm like, oh man, like this was a great game, and I pop it in, and I'm like, oh, <laughs> this is why did they do this? This is the stupidest design decision, but Aww. it wasn't stupid in 1998 because that's what we had to work with. You know, and, but we've had, we've since had another 18 years of iteration on that exact idea. And like Patrick said, like those, those little gems of like, they, they cherry pick the good stuff out of them, build on those. And then you have something, you know, theoretically even better. But, but more on that, like, I think I've been talking a lot about starting my, like our YouTube channel, but I'm probably gonna be the one doing most of the stuff on it. And I want to do reviews on it because I love reviews. Like, it's always been my favorite part of video game coverage. That's why I read all the magazines that I did when I was a kid and stuff like that. Always loved the reviews. But I've always, I've noticed a trend over the last, especially 10 years, where it's become this all or nothing thing. And part of that is because certain reviewers or certain play outlets don't use their whole scale. So what ends up happening is that a seven <laughs> is a terrible score. You know, and it, it, it can only be a nine or a 10 for it to be good. It's this, it's also this like kind of like Metacritic slash Yelp society that we're, that we're fostering on the internet where everything is a one or a zero. It's all good or all bad. Alive or dead. Nothing in between. So like, like Andromeda is a perfect example where you see like fan reviews where they're giving it ones and twos and zeros. And it's like, <laughs> when I see a score like that on a game like this, which is obviously competent, <laughs> To me, you're telling me you've never played an actual bad game because you have like you have no basis for comparison to of what actually is a terrible game that's a one. <laughs> well, I think what you're doing though is you're kind of mitigating the fact that a lot of these people are doing it to make a statement. Like they're, they're gaming the the score. Yeah. You know? Like if they were really reviewing it, they'd probably yeah. give it. But that's a so six unprofessional though. They should be shot for like being but they're not professionals. <laughs> you're talking about you're talking about the meta score. You know, these are people that just bought the game and feel like maybe they got ripped off and they want to, like, kind of flip the bird to the developer, so they go and they give their game a zero. We need to censor them. No, <laughs> well, honestly, and here's – this is a problem with Metacritic in general, but if you're running a good algorithm, you kind of mitigate the outliers, right? Mm. And the Metascore doesn't do that. Mm. Like, they don't mitigate outliers on Metacritic, and right. that's 
part of the reason why that scoring system kind of sucks. <laughs> like, Metacritic is straight up a bad way to get a good review score. Mm. Find somebody that you trust who likes the game, right? Who likes these kinds of games. Who you pay. Well, no, no, stop. <laughs> Just stop. That's Find part of the problem right you... there is people like you, Patrick, saying yeah. stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> but find, like, reviewers who you know like this kind of game and see what they think, right? I mean, that's another problem, too, and I will get on that bandwagon. It's like, why are you giving a review of an RPG to a guy who doesn't like RPGs? Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. yeah. Like, I will, I will say that's a bad thing. But Sometimes. Pace, but I... But sometimes that works in its favor because there are times, like... Okay, like here's a per- like I hate sports games, right? But if you had given me, like if I was working in an outlet back when NBA Street came out and you gave me that to review, like that would have been a really interesting review for you to read because I would have had like a really interesting perspective for that game and also loved it. You know, cuz sometimes games surprise you and they get you out of your comfort zone. There's people who played and reviewed Near that probably would hate Yoko Taro's other games, right? So sometimes that works. Sometimes things cross over in a way that I can understand why you do that. But I understand what you're saying because there are times where it's like, wait, you, you, you actively hate this type of game. Why are you reviewing this type of game? Cause you're That's not going to really give it I mean. anything. Right. Like, yeah. I hate, I hate sports games that don't have some sort of a video game element. Like, I don't like a straight up racing game, but you slap lasers on the side of that car and I'm in. <laughs> you know, you give me burnout and I want to play the crap out of that. But I don't want to just, I don't want to Gran Turismo way way around a track for three hours. That's boring as hell. You know, so it, it, it's, don't give me that game to review. Yeah. Um, give it to me. <laughs> yeah, Patrick will eat that shit up. <laughs> as long as it, as long as it had cards, Patrick, Patrick's into it. Oh. Is it okay if we head to uh, Chrono Crossing pretty soon? Oh yeah, yeah. Actually, I was I was going to ask if you wanted to have any closing comments, and then we'll we'll get into it, John. But because uh, this is a great con like topic, and I wish we could like spend another hour on it. But I know yeah. we've, we've we're pressed for time. Let's go ahead and cue that music. Chrono Crossing back to 1997, <laughs> which this might end up being the quickest Chrono Crossing segment ever, not just because we're pressed for time, but also because I feel that like most people are going to pick the same game. Um, John, what is your favorite game of 1997, sir? You know, I was trying to, th- I was thinking about what my hipster answer would be. Be like, oh, you know, Bushido oh, Blade is so awesome. <laughs> and that's Final Fantasy VII. I love that game. <laughs> it was so important to me when it came out, and I mean, I'd played. I'd been playing JRPGs for ten years at that point, so it wasn't like my first JRPG or anything. But I loved it. It was fantastic. Absolutely. Um. I mean, the importance of that game can't be stated enough. No. Because not only did it usher in like an entire generation of RPG goodness. I mean, for a while, because people don't may not remember that like after Final Fantasy VII, the RPG was the genre, you know, like after that, it became like the first person shooter again. And then it moved on into other things. Like right now it's probably, you know, well, right now it's the open world game. Right. But like back then it was the RPG and that is all Final Fantasy VII. If it wasn't for that being the mega hit that it was, those other games probably wouldn't have happened. It's that big um, sword. 
It's that big sword. It, it's that Sony marketing, you know, mm. that, that marketing that got people buying that game who had never heard of a role-playing game before and then got angry when they saw the actual graphics. <laughs> I want to swing a sword like that. <laughs> <laughs> I was so hyped for this game. I was watching like 320 by 220 quick times from the internet of the summons and just no. watching them over and over again. I was so excited. <laughs> I didn't have access to that. I was just buying every uh, every issue of Die Hard Game Fan I could get my hands on because they always had the best layouts. I couldn't even <laughs> like, oh, get that. All I got to do was look at the front cover for like years. <laughs> Nice. I finally well, got the greatest hits one. It's not worth shit because it's a green <laughs> side. No, it's it's still worth some money. Like the funny <laughs> thing about Final Fantasy VII is, even though there's literally millions of them in the wild, it's still worth some money. Yeah, because no and, one will yep. sell that. Why <laughs> yeah. would you sell? It? Right. <laughs> John has pulled has pulled nice. out a copy of Die Hard Game Fan, and I, I applaud you for that, sir. <laughs> <laughs> That magazine was great for like a period of like three years. <laughs> we really need to go video, Julian. <laughs> hmm. Well, Patrick, what was your favorite game of 1997? I feel like I think I know. What? Do you think it was Final Fantasy Seven? I think it was Final Fantasy Seven. You, yeah, you think you're right. It's Final Fantasy Seven. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck else would it be? <laughs> I mean, there's some other games this year for sure. Um, what? There's Goldeneye, right? Yeah, there is Goldeneye. Um, Dude, I, if I'm being honest, maybe during that year it was definitely Goldeneye. So that's why I gave you guys. If you guys you didn't play it when it came out, if you're premium subscribers on our website or something, you could see this video content right now where I like gave them the eye, like the Goldeneye. <laughs> but, no, like, Patrick's a little, little faded right now. Um, you are. <laughs> I just have no filter right now, but I know. <laughs> Golden eye, not lace or leather. Golden chains tape you to the spot. <laughs> oh my god! Oh man! Yeah, now, yes, you had the premium feed, you would it, see. <laughs> now, Angelo. Yes. So here's the thing. I assumed initially that it was going to be Final Fantasy VII, but then somebody on Twitter made a pick that made me think that Angela's pick would not be Final Fantasy 7 this year, but I could be wrong. So I'm going to I'm going to do this. What do you think it would be if it wasn't Final Fantasy 7? Quake 2. Fallout. Oh. All right, so hold on a second because <laughs> wasn't this the year Castlevania Symphony of the Night came out? I think so. It did, but I didn't that think that it would be that for you. Dude, I play that game almost every year. <laughs> <laughs> Like every year, about every year around Halloween, I either think about playing it or I actually play it. So yeah, I mean, Quake Two, Quake Two, I didn't play until a little bit later. I actually missed that one. I went straight from Quake and then skipped Quake Two and then went to Quake Three. But that's just me because I do weird things like that. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, Castlevania Symphony of the Night is actually my my pick because not because I don't like Final Fantasy Seven because let me tell you what, like. <laughs> I was sweating over this one. It was between those two. But the fact of the matter is, if I'm going to look at my PlayStation and like, which one of these two games do you want to play more right now? It's going to be Symphony of the Night. It just is. That's why you got it on V. You got to get it on Vita. You got to play it like I'm doing now. No, I want to play it. I want to play it on my TV with a controller. I, I, that's just how I want to play that game. It was so slick, I though, right, Julian? Yeah. 
Yeah, well, I mean, so th- I had to do some soul searching for this year because my knee jerk reaction was Final Fantasy VII. I was like, oh, it's fi- it's ninety seven, it's Final Fantasy VII. But then when I looked, when I went to go look at the list, I was like, oh, damn. Symphony of the Night came out this year. <laughs> oh, but number seven, and, number seven, number seven. And Symphony of the Night is, I don't use the term often, but I would call it a masterpiece. And also a masterpiece against the odds because it being a 2D game on a system by a company that was anti 2D game, like all, like, Everything was stacked against it, and for it to come out and be this gorgeous display of of 2D animation, gorgeous music, um, it's not the first game to take the Metroid formula. Like, there were other games. There was Demon's Crest. There was Super Adventure Island 2. There were other games that did that, but Symphony of the Night was, I think, the first game where people were like, oh, like, this is a lot like Super Metroid, but, like, modern day, and it's amazing, and it really solidified what I like to call the side-scrolling exploration genre. Fuck you, Metroidvania. Um, <laughs> like Just Vania. <laughs> it's such a wonderfully laid out and designed game. I mean, you know, and then when you get to the, to the upside down castle, like that's just like this amazing discovery in, in video games, you know, like it, it's, yep. it's just so, so well done, and as, I love Final Fantasy VII. And now, I is look, it because everything flips? Is that like the big reason? <laughs> well, it's it's that, but it's also like all the hoops you have to do to get there. Like, mm. and I felt like a freaking genius when I got there because, okay. as I've talked about on the show before, I did it without help, and that's it's pretty tricky to do without having a guide or anything like that. So, yeah, um, back was, in the day. I, yeah, it, it's it was just a great experience. So, but do you realize, guys, we're like the last generation? I mean, I, maybe I am. I don't know. We're the same generation, really. Thirty years or so together is one generation. I think we're the last generation, though. Really understand what it means. Maybe the only one to like play video games without having any guides available and just beating them either by word of mouth or by just having to figure it out for yourself. Because literally, there was nothing without the internet. You know. Or, well, I mean, there were plenty of strategy guides and magazines. Yeah, I just I mean, if you bought them, if you yeah, I had a I had a rule for myself back then where I didn't use any cheat guides or anything. Um, yeah. So, but that was like a self imposed rule. <laughs> part of the limitations that drive you to discover stuff like that in games is because you don't have a million other games to go to. Like, you want to talk about the last generation to do that? I have shelves full of games now. Right? Yeah. Therefore, my kids also have shelves full of games. And I think most people out there yeah. have access to, like, you know, this whole big retro back catalog. But back then, we had a PlayStation. We had, like, three or four games for it, right? Yeah, I thought about so that. Was, like, what What about in the future? Would you do this, maybe? Just have, like, a society where there's kids who you just give one or two games to a year just like us? Because <laughs> it's important to learn. It's, they're so ubiquitous at this point that that's that's an impossibility. Like every kid has access to literally right. like hundreds of thousands of free games on yeah. their phone. You have to <laughs> shelter people. <laughs> well, I know John is yeah. running out of time, so I'm going to run through our comments fairly quickly. Um, Michael One One Seven's favorite game was GoldenEye. He says, it was a total package that delivered a big single-player campaign in a multiplayer mode that my friends and I became addicted to. For years afterwards, GoldenEye set the bar for what I expected console shooters to deliver. I picked GoldenEye because it's still the better overall package and is plenty fun in its own ways, but my heart is always with Turok in a close second place. 
I'm not going to comment too much other than the fact, and I think I've said this before on the show, I rented GoldenEye when it came out, thought it was fine. I took it back after the three days, didn't think about it again until that year when I started working at GameFellas, and the hot commodity that Christmas was GoldenEye for, because nobody could find it. And I was like, I don't understand why everybody is rapidly looking for this game, but I had no idea about the multiplayer because oh. I was an only child and didn't have any friends to play with. That was <laughs> I, I didn't it. get it because I was into like PC shooters and, okay, look, I'm not trying to be a jerk. But that was a way better way to play first person shooters back then. Okay, okay, the PC, PC principle. Okay. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. Okay, whatever. Just, just go on. <laughs> All right. Uh, moving on quickly. PC principle. <laughs> Got Casey's uh, number one game from 97 was Crash Bandicoot 2, Cortex Strikes Back. Um, he mm-hmm. says, in some ways, this is better than Warped. I feel like he's trolling us at this point. Um, he says, more platforming <laughs> levels is a huge bonus, but the locations repeated themselves more, and there's no time trial mode like Warped. Uh, also, to bring up your point on MGS cutscenes this episode, go watch uh, the ones from Crash Bandicoot 2. There's fewer and a less complex story, but you can't deny Naughty Dog understood cutscenes before everyone else. <laughs> um, I'll debate that only because, like, there were, there were plenty of games that had cutscenes before Metal Gear Solid, but... Metal Gear Solid took them to, like, that Hollywood level. It was the cinematic type of uh, cutscenes that they did, plus how well the story worked with them. Yeah. That was what set it apart. Yeah. Um, Super Step says, Chrono Crossing for me is Star Fox 64. I've said it's my favorite game ever, but honestly, that's not true. Uh, It's my strongest positive nostalgia gaming memory. I'm honestly not (laughs) sure what my favorite game is. Um, That sounds like an existential crisis. <laughs> just tell them it's Star Control 2. Your favorite game is Star Control 2 because that's the best game. I mean, how could it not be? <laughs> I've never played that and I'd like to. I haven't either. Why is that your favorite game then? Let's like let's have a little powwow. <laughs> oh, you just have to play it. It's it's funny, it's fun, it's addictive. It's got like computer space style overhead shooting combined with planet exploration of a huge galaxy and thousands of planets, uh, lots of silly alien races to meet and befriend or make enemies with. It's sort of Mass Effect D before Mass Effect from 1992. Sounds yeah. great. Sounds like what No Man's Sky said it was. <laughs> <laughs> well, just imagine that the planet is like a bitmap you're flying your little ship on picking up resources. It's <laughs> Don't get high expectations here. This is 1992. Right. Mm. well Catherine says uh is it finally the year i get to say it it is it really is my favorite game of 1997 is diddy kong racing Ooh, (laughs) i love that game that was so fun she says no seriously it's final fantasy 7 um (laughs) this was the first final fantasy game i'd ever played and it hooked me on the series for life i met my husband through our shared love of the shinra corporation and the turks were the first cosplay we had ever done together um wow that yeah that's that's cool. <laughs> That's really cool. Love of the Shinra Corporation. I feel that you missed the point of that story, but <laughs> <laughs> right. Shinra was bad. Sick of Red 13. <laughs> and then only a couple over at Twitter again. Um, we have Will I Ain't on Twitter at, at Will underscore I underscore Ain't 3. Um, and he says Final Fantasy 7. Freshman year of high school started with a strike just as the game released. Two to three weeks binging a deep, weird JRPG. Great memories. 
that's a good way to do it. I got sick the day after it came out, and I was out for a week and finished it in that in that week. Man, that's I mean, all that I could do. Yeah, that was like when I bought a PS2. That was one of the launch titles I bought with it. And I like when I got to part of it, like when I got to cross dress, man, I was sick from school. And I was, <laughs> no. <laughs> Can I uh, tell you guys my Final Fantasy VII story? It's pretty good. It's Absolutely. Real short. Hell yeah. Okay, so I got the game in September, you know, September 7th, 1997. And that day, or the next day, I had a date. And I told the date, hey, I am putting down this game <laughs> to go meet you. <laughs> and it was great. It was a really good date. But then that weekend, I got super sick because I hadn't really been dating before. I got mono. Oh, and I was sick for three months. Makeup. I played a lot of Final wow. Fantasy. Damn. <laughs> also, that was a pretty good date, John. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's some deep mono. <laughs> uh, I feel like I should reiterate um, what what got spawned off this title, which is like a big recurring theme on our podcast, which is Patrick in games. <laughs> And, uh, oh, that's right. This was the originator of of the pa- of where is, Patricking comes from. This is the Patrick of all Patricks that has never uh, been unpatricked. Because um, which means Patrick has never finished Final Fantasy VII, even yeah. though it's one of his favorite games of all time. Yeah, it's like my favorite. Basically, I mean, maybe I, I switch things, but um, like I got to the last part of the last boss. And I just was like, no, I don't want to see what happens. I heard there's going to be a remake soon. I'm going to play that. And then it never came out. But like, <laughs> I grew to, like, then I just kept thinking about, yeah, I could beat it right now, or I could keep waiting. <laughs> and it could never end. And, and so you can, you ends. can wait, you can wait for that. You can play that um, remake and then not finish that one either. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. But like, even if I do, I still haven't finished the regular one. And so. Final Fantasy VII really will never be final to me. It will always be endless. <laughs> endless Fantasy One. <laughs> well, uh, Philip, lock you in the room with the golden saucer music for like for like hours. Yes, that is torture you until you beat that game. Give it to me. <laughs> that that's a special form of torture. Like, it is. Let Kate Sim throw gold coins all over my body. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Uh, I got up to the golden saucer and was so sick. I couldn't play for a few weeks. Like I was in bed for weeks. I, and then I restarted the game and just started over and, and played it in the beginning. <laughs> and it was, I loved it. Wow. <laughs> um, Philip at PK Becker says quick two, which that that's the reason why I started Very to question nice. Angelo because Angelo has surprised me on multiple Chrono Crossing editions with his FPS selections. Hmm. Hmm. It's a good game. What what year is Counter Strike? It is a good game. <laughs> <laughs> I think Counter Strike was ninety eight. Um, we're gonna go ahead and wrap up really quickly because John's got to go. But John, thank you so much for being on the show. You're welcome back anytime because you're a blast to have Yay. on. Yeah, this is fun. Did you want to, once again, just kind of let everybody know what you're up to and where they can find you? 
Oh, you can find me at uh, Johnny Barnstorm on Twitter. I might post homoerotic content, so just maybe don't browse me at work. <laughs> and also, you can find me at the Square Roots Podcast, uh, at Square Roots Pod on Twitter, and Square Roots Podcast on iTunes and Stitcher and Google Play and the internet. You'll find it. Just look up Square Roots on your podcast. and It's popular, so it goes there. Yes, I'm, I'm actually quite jealous of Square Roots because it's a fantastic show that is way younger than us, but way more popular than us. <laughs> Don't you say have to that. pay for advertising. I do. <laughs> <laughs> actually, Twitter advertisements are, are kind of a money sink because you don't really get much for yeah, them. Yeah, I don't know. I, I paid for podcast advertising and that really helped. Yeah, I need to look into that. But, um, I yes. know we paid for shit. I thought we were legit. <laughs> what? I spend so much money to make this show happen. You guys don't even know. I mean, yeah, I bought like a mic and a laptop and all that stuff, but that's like. Uh... I've literally spent thousands of dollars on this podcast. Ooh, that's, wow. That's love money. Anyway, we're going to go ahead and wrap up. Thank you, as always, for listening. Um, you can find us on the Twitter. Patrick. I'm at some boss. Angelo. I'm at a roguish ham. You can find me at Julian underscore Titus. You can also submit your um, top three video game developers of all time and your favorite game of 1996 at NWPcast. So for myself, Patrick, Angelo, and a special thanks to John. Thanks for listening and keep it pantsless, Internet. Goodbye. Goodbye.